and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Capstan Live. I'm Terry Johnson, partner here at Capstan Tax Strategies, and I am excited to be hosting the podcast today. Our subject today is of special interest to auto dealers and their CPAs, and our guest is a true giant in that industry. Welcome to Will DePhillips, CPA. Will has over 45 years of experience as a consultant to CPA firms in automobile dealership matters and LIFO inventory valuation issues. His experience has been consolidated into the DePhillips University, an online resource center for automobile dealer CPAs. He is a frequent speaker at national association meetings and conferences, including NADA and the AICPA National Auto Dealership Conferences, and was the editor and publisher of the Dealer Tax Watch and the LIFO Lookout from 1992 through 2012. Will is a true subject matter expert on auto dealership issues. We feel very fortunate to have you here today, Will, and we welcome you to the podcast. Thanks very much, Terry. It's great to be with you. And I understand, Will, that you have a time-sensitive strategy to share with our listeners. But first, can you give me some context as to latest industry happenings? And, you know, we I think, Will, was it last April we did a, a webinar together? And I, it sounds like there's maybe some things have happened since then. So give us sort of a high-level overview of what's going on. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, over the last... Uh, almost quite a year, there's been a lot that has changed. Uh, interestingly enough, when we were last together in April, uh, there was still, if you will, some optimism and some hope that uh, car dealers would uh, have a very good year, that their inventory levels would uh, continue to be where they are because they would be supplied uh, regularly with new vehicles to sell or used vehicles that they would purchase at the auction. But what was happening was uh, we could start to see that inflation rates were starting to creep up for new cars and used cars. And uh, the, the optimism started to fade a little bit. There's kind of good news and bad news because car dealers, they've had a wonderful year. 2021, I think, was a banner year. Many of them reported tremendous profits. Uh, and while they were kind of rubbing their hands with glee over the the great results, they were also scratching their heads because every time they sold a vehicle, I think they saw there was a phantom LIFO reserve going out in the back seat or in the trunk. So uh, there has been uh, a great deal of follow-up uh, in the press. By press, I mean uh, automotive news in particular. And there was uh, often uh, suggestions that the inflation rates were going to be fairly high as we approached the end of the year. And as we were doing projections uh, for a number of car dealer clients as to whether it was advisable to think about terminating their LIFO election or change to a method, a different method, or just bite the bullet and take the hit, so to speak, uh, the inflation rates kept going higher and higher. So, you know, in short, as we reached the end of the year, uh, if you will, piled on top of all of that, was concerned because the uh, 
NADA and uh, the American Institute of CPAs had requested the Treasury to seek uh, to find a way to provide some relief uh, first for car dealers and then for all businesses using uh, LIFO because the inventory levels were uh, projected to be low. And in many instances, in fact, that's what it turned out to be. Uh, the automotive news in particular, the last couple of weeks and even this week has had a number of articles in which they have uh, pointed out that uh, everybody is kind of wringing their hands, hoping the treasury is gonna bail them out. And I have a very uh, different uh, point of view in uh, talking with my clients and in other uh, forums and talking about the uh, effectiveness of what might be relief if the treasury decides to grant it. Well, that's, a, a, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish up. No, I was just gonna say that's, that's been the overview, the hope for some relief, a silver lining uh, without really knowing what it is. And to that, I can only say, be careful what you wish for because you may get it. Uh, <laughs> but we will, we will see what happens. In the meantime, uh, dealers are looking at the clock running down, if you will, uh, a month or two, or maybe a few more if they extend their tax returns. But the day of decision or the need to make that decision as to what they're gonna do, uh, if they haven't already made it, uh, is coming quickly. Well, that's a really great overview. And I, I'd like to know, dive into this a little bit more and just kind of in general, what strategies are available to the dealers facing those large LIFO reserve paybacks? Well, there are, there are essentially four strategies if, uh, if we look at them uh, one, and one, two, three, four, just in order of perhaps the uh, first one that comes to mind is should they terminate their LIFO elections? And if a dealer terminates the LIFO election, what happens is they file a form with the Internal Revenue Service, it's form 3115, notifying the IRS that they have uh, closed the door, they're, they're terminating their LIFO election effective the beginning of 2021, and they take their LIFO reserve at the beginning of 2021, which would really be the December 31, 2020 LIFO reserve. And they uh, take that into income over four years, 25% in the year of change, which is 2021, and then another 25% in each of the next three years. So they are then finished with LIFO completely, uh, not likely to be able to re-elect LIFO for at least another five years, but they have avoided perhaps a very large payback by spreading the LIFO reserve 100% over the next four years. So let, let's uh, look at what the second alternative would be, and that's just simply to continue using the uh, method uh, that they are using for valuing their new vehicles. Uh, and again, I'm going to uh, talk today uh, in our discussion about dealers that are using the alternative LIFO method for valuing their new vehicles, which is a uh, method that the IRS has uh, permitted. They have, if you will, blessed it. They said, if you do things this way, we will accept your calculations uh, as being accurate. So when the calculation is made and there is a net reduction in the LIFO reserve, then what's going to happen is that's going to become taxable income 100% in 2021. Now, many dealers are under the uh, mis 
understanding, uh, and, and some CPAs too, that for example, if their, light, if their inventory went down by 60%, they'd have to pay back 60% of their LIFO reserve. And that, as I say, is a, a misconception. If there is a decrease in the LIFO reserve, it's really the combination of two factors. Inflation is bringing the LIFO reserve up and the payback of LIFO reserves or LIFO increments that were built up in prior years, that's what's causing the reduction. So it's the offset of those two variables that's gonna produce a net income or a net, net increase or a net decrease. So, and we, we track it very closely, dealerships that have been on LIFO for a very long period of time, let's say from the early 80s or perhaps the early 90s, and we have some even further back than that, uh, if they are reaching into those layers that are at the very bottom of their layer history schedule, they do have fairly large paybacks uh, as a, uh, an amount per dollar, in other words, 50, 60, 70 cents on the base dollar that's being invaded. But it never turns out to be that there is going to be a, a direct correlation, 60% reduction of inventory, 60% payback of LIFO reserve. In fact, if the dealership has built up LIFO reserves or LIFO inventory, I should say, over the last few years, then if it has a decrease in 2021, it's going to go back against our more recent years and they will have less repayment than if they're going all the way back to the base years. So, so the second strategy, if you will, is just uh, do the calculations and, and be prepared to pay the tax or to accept the increase in income on top of whatever other results you're reporting. Now there's a third possibility and that possibility is to continue using the alternative method for new vehicles, which is going to generate the uh, reduction or the payback of the LIFO reserve, and to try and offset that by electing to apply LIFO to used vehicles. So we, have, we recognize that there are two different classes of goods, if you will, new vehicles and used vehicles. And some dealers, if they are not already using the LIFO method for, new, for used vehicles, will then consider making the election to put the used vehicles on LIFO and that decrease in income from putting the used vehicles onto LIFO will to some extent offset the increase in income because of the decline in the new vehicle inventories. So that's, uh, that's uh, alternative number three. And the fourth one is the one that we are finding uh, very attractive, and that is to change the method for valuing the inventories. So for a dealer, uh, common situation, a dealer is on LIFO for, you, for new vehicles. We suggest that they change to the IPIC method. That's the inventory price uh, index method. Uh, and they use the consumer price indexes, which are uh, given to us or which are compiled by the uh, consumer price uh, people. And this change, if they add used vehicles to the new vehicle pool, it will produce a very significant result. Uh, in a moment, 
Uh, if we have time, I'll just uh, pull out a few examples uh, to put some numbers to what I'm talking about. Great. But this is the method that, uh, this is the strategy that has a great deal of appeal to many dealers uh, right now. So I'm curious, Will, that, you know, for your dealer clients that are on LIFO, uh, what are they doing um, to cope with LIFO reserve recapture? Are they going with this strategy for, or are you seeing, seeing sort of a, a mixed bag? Uh, I, I'm, I'm saying it's less of a mixed bag. Uh, in 2020, there was a slight reduction of inventory levels, and we had some of our clients make the change to the IPIC method for 2020. This year for 2021, about 75% of our clients are, are in, we're in the process right now of making the change to the IPIC method. Oh, and wow. yeah, and, and, but there are, uh, I, I would hasten to add, there are some who, uh, when we do the calculations, because projections are important uh, uh, all the time, but when we do the projections, if we are not projecting a very significant payback of the LIFO reserve, some say, well, you know, I'll just take the hit. You know, it's only a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And in the larger scheme of things, that's not enough to move the needle in the direction of persuading us that we ought to make the change to avoid something that is uh, uh, very detrimental. There's a lot of talk in dealer 20 groups, I'm told, that uh, there is a suggestion that changing to the IPIC method is not so attractive because then they have to put the used vehicles onto LIFO. Again, we can come and talk about that a little bit later. But what we are finding quite clearly, okay, what are our clients doing? The vast majority, they are changing this year if they have not already changed in the previous year. Okay. Well, that that's really helpful. And I'd like to know a little bit more about um, what's this IPIC method is all about. Can you get into that a little bit more and a little more detail for us? I will be happy to. Uh, it's actually a very, it's a complicated method when you read the regulations, but in application, it's relatively simple and straightforward. Uh, inst instead of computing an inflation index for new vehicles or for used vehicles, by making calculations based on the dealer's invoices, the inflation indexes are determined under the IPIC method by selecting from either the consumer price index report indexes or from the producer price index. And we uh, uh, adamantly say, do not use the producer price index, use the consumer price index if you are going to make the change. Uh, in making the change, you have to notify the Internal Revenue Service by filing a Form 3115. And you also have to file a Form 970, which goes into the details of the sub-elections that are being made. But overall, uh, the advantage of using the IPIC method, uh, quite simply, is if you want to have a higher LIFO reserve, you want to have higher inflation indexes. And the difference between the inflation indexes that are computed when under the new vehicle alternative method, you, I, you look at vehicles one by one and you determine the inflation index, those indexes 
generally for the pool are very low. They have been for the last few years. If, if we look at the history in comparing inflation indexes computed by dealerships using the alternative method versus the results if they were to use the IPIC method, what happens is that that historical view shows that you're better off or they were better off to continue to use the methods they were on than to change to the IPIC method. But that changed and it changed dramatically at the end of 2019. So that beginning in 2020, the difference between staying on the alternative method or changing to the IPIC method, if all you were interested in was having the largest LIFO reserve you could legitimately have, then the focus changed or the advantage changed from using the alternative method to using the IPIC method. I'll give you a very simple example, Terry. Sure. Uh, this year for 2021, if you compute the inflation index for a, a Ford dealer, Chevrolet dealer, whomever, what, whatever dealership it might be, you will be lucky to have inflation indexes that are uh, close to 2%. There are a few manufacturers who, whose vehicles have slightly larger inflation indexes, and those, as you might expect, are for the uh, medium-sized trucks, the uh, uh, the, the pickups and, and vehicles of that nature. So you're getting perhaps, let's just say a 2% inflation index. If you were to change to the IPIC method and look only at new vehicles, the IPIC method allows you to use almost 12%. In fact, the rate for the year under the CPI table is 11.8. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, now the similar difference between the CPI rate and the do-it-yourself compute the rate for used vehicles is even greater. The difference is even greater. The used vehicle indexes, they could be, they could run as high as nine or 10%. Again, depending on the mix of vehicles in the dealer's ending inventory. Under the CPI, under the consumer price index, the index for used vehicles is just a bit over 37%. So roughly one third of the cost of the vehicle is determined to be inflation. And that can be deducted through the IPIC method and the calculations. So what happens is this, if we put together new vehicles and used vehicles in a single pool under the IPIC method, and there are a couple of other technical elections, but they're, they're very uh, easy to understand in terms of boxes to check. When you put those together, what we are finding is that the effective rate for a pool of new and used vehicles is running for our clients in the numbers that we've been doing for the last three months, it's running between 20 and 30%. Now that's a weighted index. And it's based on the relationship of the dollars of new vehicles and the dollars of used vehicles to each other in the, in the pool. And we have some indexes as low as 18 or 19%, and we have had some as high as 30%, where the mix of the dollars in the inventory was more like two thirds of the dollars were used vehicles and one third were for new vehicles has nothing to do with the number of units, 
has nothing to do with turnover. It's all based on dollars in inventory because the dollar value method simply reflects or, or treats the inventory as an investment of dollars. So that's uh, in a nutshell, the difference between the inflation rates has heavily favored those who are looking to avoid repayments. And I just pulled some, uh, some reports that uh, we've sent out within the last few days. And uh, again, just generalizing, uh, I've got one here that we sent out. There was a, the, the good news was the, the increase in the LIFO reserve was $2,100,000 based on a 27% weighted rate in the pool. Another one, a million two hundred thousand, based on the inflation rate being thirty-three percent. Another one, a million three eighty, based on an inflation rate of twenty-eight percent. Uh, I'll just stop after, after the next one. A million seven hundred thousand with the inflation rate at twenty-nine percent. So these are real numbers. These are real-time numbers for dealers around the country uh, that we are doing the calculations for as well as for a number of new dealer clients that have uh, uh, sought our assistance on these matters. So, Will, that's really helpful. And, um, but I do have another question on this. And can the dealers still write down their used vehicles if they change to the IPIC method? No, they cannot write down used vehicles if, if they change to the IPIC method. And the reason is because the inventory that's going to be valued at LIFO has to be uh, valued at actual cost, okay? So for a dealer that has followed the practice of writing down used vehicles, what happens is those used vehicle write-downs at the beginning of the year are ignored in the computation, just as any write-downs at the end of the year are ignored and the inventory amounts are grossed up. But what so many people lose sight of in reacting to this in a quick fashion is, oh, that's bad. Well, the fact of the matter is that there's a special provision when you put the used vehicles onto LIFO, if you have those write-downs, you restore them to income, but you do not restore them 100% in income in the year when you put them on LIFO. You spread that write-down over three years, not four years, three years. And the fact of the matter is that the vehicles that have been subject to the write-downs, they've been sold during the year. So those write-downs are already 100% in income in the current year. So in effect, you pull out two thirds of the write-down at the beginning of the year and report that over the year, over the next two years, as well as one third in the current year. There's one other aspect, which uh, I, I think some folks tend to overlook because they have so habitually written down their used cars. They're in a habit of writing them down every year. And what they fail to recognize are the following two facts. Okay, not opinions, but facts. The first fact is that the used car write down is simply reversing every year. So it's like being on a treadmill. At the end of the, at the, end of the year, all your write downs at the beginning of the year are in income. So if you want any kind of deferral, you've got to take another write down at the end of the year to, if you will, offset the income that's in the tax return because of the write downs at the beginning of the year. 
My point being that that used car write downs are not a deferral. They turn over every year. And again, depending on the size of the inventory at the end of the year, that deferral may go up or down. LIFO, on the other hand, is a more permanent deferral as compared to the used vehicle write downs, which every year wash out and then have to be restored by another amount. So that's the first fact. The second fact is simply that at the end of this year, for those dealers who have always enjoyed writing down their used vehicles, there is no justification or legitimate basis for taking write-downs because write-downs are for the lower of cost or market. And dealers are not selling their used vehicles below cost. They're selling them at handsome profits. And that's why I say there's no justification for lower of cost or market write-downs at the end of 2021. So for someone who says, well, we, you know, we'd like to go on, but you know, we really like this idea of writing down used vehicles. On, those, on the basis of those two points, I think they need to reconsider their views. We have a number of clients who have said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but we're worried if the used vehicle prices go the other way, you know, they're extraordinarily high at the end of 2021. What happens if used car prices drop? Well, they're gonna drop and the inflation index is gonna be lower uh, is there going to be deflation? Uh, no one can really predict that one way or the other. Uh, the concern is to some extent offset by the fact that when you have both new vehicles and used vehicles in the same pool, if the investment of dollars in the used vehicles goes down at the end of, let's say the end of this year, it's possible that the investment in new dollars will be higher and that increase in the new vehicle pool dollars will offset the decrease in the used vehicle dollars because as I mentioned earlier, the calculation is simply looking at the dollar amounts at the beginning and the end of the year and not identifying specific new cars, used cars uh, or items in that inventory. I would add one other thing uh, just to make the point uh, we have a number of dealers who are also putting into the IPIC pool parts and accessories, inventories, and tires. So those can be added. So in some instances, our, changing, our change includes new vehicles, used vehicles, parts, and tires. In some instances, some folks have said, no, we just don't want to put the used vehicles on. And again, that's a, that's a judgment that the controller or the dealer uh, with their advisors, uh, they make independently of the numbers that we frame for them. That's great. And I, I, I'm curious, Will, if, if you see any side benefits from making the change. Uh, there, are, there are a few. Uh, first and foremost, it's much easier in, in time to, to make the computation because the alternative LIFO calculations require uh, an analysis of the invoices, as I mentioned to you, if they're new vehicles, you look at the uh, dealer price information. Uh, you look at the prices uh, that the dealer has paid for what's in inventory at the end of the year. It's an invoice by invoice analysis. Uh, similarly, if the used vehicles are on LIFO, it's an invoice by invoice 
determination, but the prices are based on an official used car guide that the uh, uh, that the taxpayer, the dealer selects to use, which one they're going to use out of the uh, several that are available and they have to consistently use that. So one side benefit uh, quite simply is that it's less time consuming. And if you're doing it internally or you have your accountants, uh, CPAs doing it for you, it's less costly to have that uh, calculation. There's another side effect that uh, uh, I've mentioned to a number of clients, uh, and that is simply that their LIFO calculations for the prior years may have been screwed up. In other words, uh, not everyone is uh, adept at handling the LIFO calculations, uh, applying the carrybacks if there are decrements, uh, shortcutting the, the requirements for computing the indexes. Uh, in every situation, we always have to frame the LIFO reserve composition so that we can move forward. And often we find that through one means or another, uh, and not casting any uh, aspersion, but just simply recognizing that often the calculations are not correct. If you make this change in accounting method and you are making the change voluntarily, in other words, you're not under audit, then the taxpayer gets audit protection, protection from the IRS coming in and saying, hey, wait a second, your calculations two years ago overstated your life or reserve by X dollars, so, you know, some amount. The IRS doesn't come in and correct those prior year calculations. You basically, when you make this change, you use what's referred to as the cutoff method, which means you basically cut off the results of all the prior years in their calculations as reflected in the LIFO reserve at the beginning of the year. And then you move forward, if you will, with a clean slate following the IPIC procedures. So that can be a very significant side benefit. Uh, in a number of instances, we've had CPA firms that acquire a dealership client and the other, the previous CPAs or accountants are reluctant to give up their work papers or their calculations are just incorrect. And that's an embarrassment to the, uh, to the practitioner, but nevertheless, it's a fact of life. So the change in method can give a taxpayer audit protection. Those are the two basic, if you will, uh, side benefits. There's, there's a few others, but uh, these are essentially the two that come to mind readily. So I'm, I'm wondering as you're talking, because it seems like pretty compelling to make this change, but I'm assuming that not all dealerships are making this change. And I'm curious if that's the case, why not? Okay, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are a number of reasons that uh, <clears throat> I have been... Uh, hearing and uh, have clients uh, tell me. Uh, one reason is simply because the dealer does not want to increase the size of the LIFO reserve. In other words, uh, among some dealers, there's just the notion that, you know, hey, we've got to pay this back sooner or later. You know, it's not, for, it's not a forever thing. It's not like the PPP loans that are going to be forgiven. The LIFO reserve amount is not going to just go away without any tax consequence. So some dealers uh, up to a point are grateful to have been on LIFO. They're grateful for the deferral. They've used the money that they have not paid to the IRS or the treasury. They've used that to increase their 
uh, inventory to enhance their facilities uh, or do a whole number of other things. Uh, but they're just simply say, you know, our, you know, our LIFO reserve is at a level where we really don't feel the need to make it a whole lot larger. And once again, the numbers I was just quoting, I had one where the LIFO reserve increase was over $5 million for a sizable Ford dealership in the Midwest. So, you know, to take a, to take a jump in the LIFO reserve of $5 million, uh, that was really more than they wanted to uh, take. They were uh, feeling that that was uh, just a level they did not want to uh, go and reach. Uh, the, the, you know, another reason is simply that the dealers have said, you know, through our tax planning, because as I do LIFO, I'm only involved with the LIFO impact, but they, there are a whole lot of other considerations. And they will say, well, you know, we've already got our tax situation for this year handled. Uh, we've got plenty of deductions from uh, a number of different uh, sources and reasons. And, you know, that really, you know, always makes me think of what you folks have been doing uh, in the way of depreciation and uh, uh, cost analyses for facilities. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, no, I, uh, that you put that one right back on me, didn't you? <laughs> I, I, I tried to. <laughs> well, you know, it's true that with the 100% bonus on any property that you move from a depreciation standpoint from, you know, a 39-year asset to five for personal property or 15-year for land improvements, and you get bonus on that, plus qualified improvement property when you're refreshing a dealership, you know, doing renovations on the inside of the building that's not structural and not expanding the building, you get bonus on that as well. So we are seeing a lot of cost segregation activity uh, with the acceleration depreciation, taking advantage of the bonus depreciation right now. But just as a reminder, Will, that 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 bonus is going to start stepping down in 2023. It'll be 80% instead of 100%. And then until through the end of uh, 2026, it'll go down starting in 23, 20% a year till it expires at the end of 2026. So just as a reminder to the listeners that the, the bonus depreciation has been really awesome, but it will start sunsetting um, in 2023 over a, you know several years, it's gonna take some time, but that's a good point. All right, let's get back on task. You got me back on my subject, Will, and I got a little okay. sidetracked there. <laughs> all right, <laughs> apologies for that. <laughs> all good, all good. Uh, all right. what, what about the Section 473 relief? I, I was just curious if you had anything on that. Oh, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, Terry. Uh, you notice I didn't list it as a fifth strategy. Okay, we had right. terminate the LIFO that. election, uh, uh, go to used vehicles, uh, change to the IPIC method, but uh, sitting on your hands and hoping that the treasury is going to make a beneficial change, I, I think is not likely to happen. Now, I would say that, you know, back in December of 2020, uh, I sent a submission to the commissioner and to the treasury uh, at that time, because I was expecting that I was not expecting all the events that have occurred to occur. Uh, so I was very much for relief under section 473. But it is a very technical section. And 
Uh, NADA has uh, requested that the Treasury look into providing some relief under a code section that is it's over 40 years old. There are no regulations. So whatever relief comes, if it's going to come as a result of the provisions of section 473, uh, my opinion or my personal expectation is that there's going to come with a lot of strings attached. So what do I mean by that? Uh, the way that provision is written, a dealer would basically pay the tax on the liquidation of his inventory. In other words, pay a reserve recapture tax, pay that, and then over the next three years, watch or follow the inventory level buildup at the end of each year. And as soon as the inventory level reaches the same level, I'm just gonna generalize, reaches the same level as it was before the inventory levels went down, then the dealer can submit a, an amended return. They have to do their LIFO calculations under the same method that they were using and then file an amended return and uh, wait for the uh, IRS to review the amended return and send them a refund. So the fact that the structure of the code section says you pay the tax up front, and then you track your calculation levels for the next couple of years. And as soon as you hit a year where the inventory level is back up to what it was before, then that kind of triggers the opportunity to file an amended return. And again, the, the, the detail of the code section says this is an election that the dealer makes when he, he or she files the tax return for the business. So you make that election and it's a binding election. Uh, so let's just, and if the inventory level goes right back up the next year, then you don't continue calculations any longer. As soon as the inventory level gets back to where it was, that's when the if you will, the look forward period stops. The statute says no more than three years forward uh, do you look. And that seems to make sense. But let's just take the situation where let's assume that the treasury decides to grant relief and they, they, write, some regu they write regulations because there are no regulations for the application of this section to the dollar value uh, LIFO method. Uh, and let's assume that all of this transpires. So the dealer pays the tax, the income is recorded. A couple years later, the, the inventory level goes back up. So they do a recalculation, they file another return. Okay, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with multiple state return, amended state returns. So many dealers are, uh, if you will pass through entities, they're S corporations, they're LLPs or they're limited liability companies that have elected to be taxed as partnerships. So you have then the need to notify partners of adjustments to their taxable income as a result of the change in the valuation of their inventories under whatever you wanna call this relief method uh, happens to be. So there, uh, there are paperwork burdens. And whenever I talk to a CPA and talk about, yeah, you have to file amended returns, Oh, and oh yeah, by the way, there's these multiple K-1s. Uh, those are problems, those are technical problems. Uh, it may be handled at an administrative level by the partner,
But nevertheless, there's a lot of paperwork that could be involved uh, with these. I think there's another aspect of this, and that is that the dealer can't really change its counting method, its LIFO valuation method during this period when it is tracking its calculations under the relief provision mechanism. So although I grant those are speculations on my part, they are based on a fairly long experience of reading regulations, seeing situations where the treasury is going to provide relief. And right now the sticking point in whether relief is gonna be forthcoming is the treasury is kind of dragging its feet uh, or nitpicking over whether there has been a major foreign trade interruption that has caused the decline in the inventory. Uh, when this provision came into effect some 40 years ago, we had the, the uh, oil crisis, oil embargo. We had a whole lot of technical problems and those were geared for a business that was not using the dollar value method for valuing the inventory. It's pretty easy to track your inventory in terms of barrels of oil. It's a lot different when it's, they are investments in dollars. So what's happened right now, I, I look at uh, tax notes, one of the uh, sources that I track every day to try and stay up to date. And it's not easy, but nevertheless, uh, trying to stay up to date, I have not yet seen any indication that there is anything forthcoming from the treasury. So if tomorrow, they were to decide to grant relief and they put a notice in the federal register next week, they still have to write regulations. And those regulations, of course, then will go through a series of uh, um, review layers. So it will be quite a while before those regulations are made public. And there'll be period of, uh, periods for comment by uh, practitioners as to what their uh, suggestions might be for, for improving things if, if they so choose to, to do that. So the, the bottom line is that I do not, I, what, what I, let me put it this way, what I am finding is that my clients are much more inclined to take the bird in the hand and, and deal with, yeah, it's, it's possible that the inflation rates are gonna change over the years, that inventory levels are going to change, but they want to avoid this sharp pain of paying a lot of tax this year. And so they just have to uh, make a decision to either make a change, or if they decide not to, they can hope for relief, but uh, it will not come, I think, uh, very simply uh, from the treasury. And I think, you know, from what you're saying, there's problems associated with this grant relief that when you really peel back the onion, it's a lot more complicated. You have to kind of, you know, is it practical? Is it going to be timely? I mean, based on what you're yes. saying, even if it passes, there's going to be a whole process that has to follow that and it's not going to be timely. So, you know, there's well, a lot of, there's a lot of problems associated with the grant relief that maybe it's not the silver bullet that everybody was thinking. Yeah. There's all, there's one other thing I would add, and that is simply that what happens if a dealer files a tax return uh, decides to terminate the LIFO election, and then six months from now finds out that that relief is available. 
will the relief provision allow someone who's taken action in a different direction to revoke that action in order to take relief? That, that's a completely different issue than what are the procedures if we knew what they were today and could decide based on what we know. Right. So I, I mean, I'm curious, Will, because I'm sure you know, you've seen that article a few days ago in Automotive News that had a lead story entitled Dealers Look for a LIFO Lifeline. And um, I think as we wrap out, that's kind of maybe a, a good ending to our conversation um, that I just curious what you thought, what your reaction was to that article and kind of as you maybe talk a little bit about that and as we wrap up here, kind of ending, any ending thoughts as far as um, making this decision? Uh, yeah, if, if thoughts uh, in connection with that article, I, I think they are uh, perhaps leading uh, the general dealership population uh, to hope for some relief that's going to be a magic cure-all. And I think that's a, a false expectation. Uh, I, I found that the uh, editorial opinion in this week's Automotive News uh, was written, and uh, I think it was written uh, with a total misunderstanding. The point being raised in the editorial, well, you know, dealers ought to find a more a better way of accounting for their inventory. After all, none of the publicly held dealerships use the LIFO method. Now, that is a true fact, but the reason they don't use LIFO is because they don't want to depress their earnings and their earnings per share by reporting on a LIFO basis. Uh, so there are a number of times when what's in the press uh, is, is a generalization. Uh, to, to conclude on a positive note, I think what would really benefit dealerships uh, and dealers and their advisors is the opportunity to hear uh, both sides of the discussion. Because I find myself a, a, if you will, a lone voice trying to speak out for the benefit of dealers saying, hey, become aware of this opportunity to make this change have your accountants evaluate it for you uh, and then match what you are seeing with that situation compared to what the other alternatives are. I think just waiting for the lifeline, uh, I, I, I find that my clients, the ones who I have made the change, they, make the, they decide very quickly that the numbers are what they are going to uh, make the decision based on rather than the hope of some relief. Well, well, I think that about wraps it up. And I, I like that ending and kind of the way you um, summarize that. And I think we've just had a great discussion here today. And I want to thank you. Um, thank you, Will Phillips, for being here. Um, your expertise is really on a whole other level. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. So thanks so much, Will. You're quite welcome. It's my pleasure. Have a good day. Yeah, and Will, just if our listeners have questions or would like to get more information, how can they get in touch with you? Well, uh, my phone number is area 847-577-3977. You could go on my website and you'll see a whole lot of information. Uh, it's www.dphillips.com. Even if you misspell my last name, 
there's not a whole lot of DePhillips out there. So uh, you may get somebody else, but uh, chances are if you put LIFO and DePhillips together, you'll get to my website. So, so feel free to call me or you could reach me through Terry uh, it just as well. Terrific. And listeners, if you'd like to learn more about incorporating cost segregation into your tax strategies, please reach out. You can check out our website, click the schedule an appointment and leave your contact information so we can get back to you. Or if you've got your phone in hand, just give us a ring at 215-885-7510. I'm Terry Johnson here with our producer, Aaron Strongen, hoping you liked what you heard today. If you did, why not subscribe? We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or you can just go to our website, capsantax.com forward slash podcasts. Thank you for joining us on another edition of Capstan Live. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.